Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth. And I'm Camp Adulthood, and I still hate doing that every week, but that's okay. I love it. I know. That's why you keep doing it. We're very delighted to have two very special guests here today. Cross, oh, cross-generational guests. Yes, our first Gen X and Boomer guests. And Maddie, would you like to introduce them? I'll let them introduce themselves. They are my parents. I'm Marianne Yergi. And I'm John Yergi. Can you guys each tell us um, where you're from, what year you were born, um, and maybe your personal, why you define yourself as whatever generation you identify with? I was born in 1965 in Pontiac, Michigan. I've lived almost my entire life in Michigan, except for the six years we lived in Buffalo when Maddie was a baby. And um, I never really identified with Gen X. As my husband says, it's the slacker generation. And I don't identify as a slacker. So. Yeah, it's not a slacker, for the record. I'm kind of an outlier Gen X, I guess. Or a boomer wannabe. <laughs> Uh, my name is John Yergi. Uh, I was born in 1961, so I'm solidly in the uh, boomer generation. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, spent uh, only four years of my life here, and then we moved all around the country. We settled uh, in Michigan, uh, and I've lived in Michigan, well, 46 years. Outside of Buffalo. Less the time we spent in Buffalo. Excellent. Well, I think before we get into the interview portion... Shay, did you have a topic for our campfire portion? Well, I did have one topic, but it is not really related to our guests. It's just something I read in the news this week that um, I thought was really interesting. Um, and it is about Lena Dunham rehoming her dog, Lammy, which I don't care about Lena Dunham's dog. But what was really interesting, <laughs> I mean, I have many opinions as a rescue dog owner myself, but that's not really related to this podcast. Um, but what I thought was really interesting about the whole scandal, quote unquote, over Lena Dunham getting rid of her dog is that the immediate reaction was what a stupid millennial for having to get rid of her dog. And I just thought that that was a really interesting generational, um, I guess, generation. Is Lena Dunham supposed to be like the voice of the millennial generation? I feel like people care way too much about her. I mean, I think she does wonderful work, but I don't think she's the voice of the generation. And I think, I don't know. So I just, I thought it was really interesting that that was the reaction, that getting rid of your dog because you can't handle it is a millennial downfalling. So I was kind of wondering what everyone thinks about that. Happy to talk more about the story as well, if you are not familiar with the scandal. Oh, it was basically like she just said her dog was badly behaved because it was mistreated in the shelter and so she gave it back basically exactly that's it but she is also apparently going to pay for its care for the rest of its life and like rehomed it this fancy pants shelter rehabilitation center whatever so i kind of feel like she's being as responsible as she can be even though i don't believe in giving your dog back again that's my whole rant as a owner of a rescue dog but is that you know is her giving up on this dog a sign that she's a lazy, good-for-nothing millennial, or is it just a person? I, mean, I think issue? it's a little lazy. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, you know, I did a lot of work as a prosecutor in childhood abuse and neglect, and there are a lot of people that try to give their adoptive children back. 
So that's a lot more that's horrifying. That's terrifying. Yes, yeah. that's a lot more horrifying. Not that this dog isn't, you know, yeah. a sentient being, you know, precious, whatever. But, yeah, it happens. And it's not an intergenerational thing. So we have well, we have a lot of foster now. kids who become teenagers, and they start to have problems because they never dealt with the trauma, you know, that kind of stuff. Just and the parents so try to sad. give them back. Yeah. Ugh. And it, does it work? Do they? Does the court take them back? Generally, they do because once a kid knows that the parents are trying to get rid of them, okay. it's not a good idea to leave the leave the child in the home because they will suffer abuse and neglect. And then what happens to those kids usually? Are they just there's usually some wonderful people that will take teenagers into their homes. And wow. thank goodness for them. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I think Lena Dunham puts herself out there so much and is so opinionated that this is just a payback that that story even made the news. Right? It's a payback to Lena Dunham that she's not this perfect person who has all the right answers. She's just as human as anybody else and and she has, you know, issues like any of us would. But if I gave a dog a dog back, I'm sure it wouldn't make the news, right? <laughs> no so. one would be like, this is a failure of the boomer generation. <laughs> right, right, which you really can't say. Yeah. So, right, so so I think that's, that's it's more about her than the dog. Than about the dog or about the generational. Oh, yeah, the thing. generational. I mean, issue. I just think it's just so interesting, and this is something we address on the show, is that there's this automatic hatred for whenever millennials do something that isn't completely on the straight and narrow or socially acceptable and it's immediately like, well, it's because they're a millennial that they're doing this thing. And I think it really keeps us from looking at like more nuanced issues. Like it isn't it. There are a lot of really interesting things you could say about when you have to rehome a dog or gosh, a horrible situation of giving back a child. There are so many interesting things and important things to talk about. But when you just blame it on this generation that is completely arbitrary, then I think it's problematic because that becomes a conversation as opposed to what's actually important to talk about. Like in the post today, it said that millennials would rather play video games than have a job. I don't even understand video games. (laughs) I don't know how they work. But if you could get paid, if you could just live off of nothing and not have a job. I would read books all day. All day long. I tried to have that be my job. It did not work out, but that's okay. So. What do you guys think? I think that's what they call retirement. <laughs> I think that's what they call irresponsible parents because how are they living just playing video games unless there's a stain on their parents' couch? You know? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Also, like, I can't wait to see what the studies and, you know, 20, 30 years about how their brains are just fried to crap from playing video games all day. Maybe I'm really an old, old lady, but... Shane really doesn't like Spongebob or video games. Yeah. Everyone can hear my rant on Spongebob in last week's episode, if you haven't already listened. I think it makes kids dumb. And science... And that was the same argument our parents gave us with rock and roll, right? That rock and roll was going to be the the end of civilization. Well, it was going to make you a drug addict. Yeah, right, right. And, all these and in other... some cases it did. <laughs> yeah, there's some evidence that people went that direction. But um, I think with every successive generation, technology plays such a big role in, you know, the, the, the next generation, it. passing the, the current generation, if you will. And maybe 
you know, maybe that's part of the the millennial pushback, if you will, right? So that you have all this great technology, and maybe it's out of jealousy that we think your lives will be a lot easier than ours, right? Yes. We addressed that in the very first episode, that if during World War II they had texting, everyone would jump on that in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Everyone would be like, this is awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we get into the interview portion? Let's get into the interview. Uh, Maddie, would you like to begin? Sure. So I thought it would be interesting to start, since I'm 23 and you're 33, to ask the parentals what they were doing at age 23 and then age 33. If we can search our memories. When I was 23, I was working full-time for a judge in Oakland County, Michigan, and going to law school at night. And And dating your dad. We had just met. Right. When you were 23, we'd met. I wasn't 23, but you were. Yeah. What, um, what were you doing at 33? Um, I had two children, and I was living in Buffalo, New York, raising my kids. Excellent. So at 23, I was um, a recent hire at the Chrysler Corporation, and I was a, uh, they called him a college grad training, and I ended up being a production supervisor, um, running a group of 30 folks that made uh, Sundances and Shadows, if you remember those vehicles from Chrysler in the uh, mid-80s. At 33, gosh, um, we were in Buffalo, and Jackson, I think, was born, I was probably 35, so right in that time. I was thinking about Jackson. How exciting. Jackson will be so thrilled that he's getting a shout-out. I'm sure he's jealous that he's not here. Well, Jackson every week wants a shout-out, which I think is a little greedy of him. But we do, we've shouted him out at least three times, I think. Yes. Yeah, including reading a whole letter from him, so. Oh, yeah. Jackson submitted to our website. It's great. Um, Cool. So I think I wanted to get your thoughts, your initial thoughts on the millennial generation you both have jobs and millennial children obviously well what is your um, initial initial thoughts my initial thoughts coming from detroit we had a terrible recession probably worse than the rest of the nation and i know the millennial kids that live around us they were sort of the lost job generation all of the college graduates came home and lived with their parents they couldn't find jobs and it went on for kind of a protracted period of time. So they lost several years where they weren't productively working. In our generation, it was so much easier to get a job, you know, in the summers and right out of college. You know, I really wish people would be more open about how much the recession hurt particularly people that are my age, because I graduated from college in 2006, and if I known a recession was coming, I would have immediately gotten into a company and then I would have been safe. But I was like, oh, I'm going to go teach abroad for a year. I mean, and I was working and I was working hard and hustling, but I wasn't, you know, making sure that I had a traditional opportunity that was going to keep me safe through the recession. And then when I got back and the recession hit almost immediately, I, I mean, it took me you know, I had a master's degree and some work experience and it still took me almost six months to find a job. And I remember feeling, you know, like such a failure during that time, even though no one could find jobs. So, um, 
Um, it's really interesting to hear someone talk about that. Right. Someone older. Yeah, my, my experience with millennials obviously uh, is through work and... Um, and your children. And, and my children, of course. Um, and, and it's very interesting when you talk to folks that, uh, you know, based on what they've lived through, the recession, corporate restructuring, um, corporations aren't what they used to be either, right? They used to offer more of a secure sort of a guarantee of... If you work hard for the company and provide for the company, the company will provide for you, not only today, but through retirement and maybe even health care. And all those structures have been decimated. You talk to millennials now and they'll, I was doing a skip level meeting, which... What is a skip level? Skip level is where you invite people from various levels of the organization uh, to maybe a lunch or a breakfast and you, uh, you know, just have a casual conversation. And so... Uh, this, this guy was an entry-level engineer, and, um, you know, we, we went around the room, and he, I asked him, you know, what brought you to American Axel? And he said, uh, well, I figured I could get seven or ten years here. And I said, well, what does that mean? He says, well, I'm, I'm a, this kind of an engineer, and I figured I could work on the new program, um, and then when that's over, I'll go somewhere else. So it really highlighted to me that there's no, you know, they don't view corporations the way I do. To put it into context, how long have you worked at your current corporation? I've worked at two companies over 33 years. So 10 years at Chrysler and 23 years with American Axle. And um, it, it's just interesting that people look at jobs as sort of stopovers. Well, I mean, I think, so we haven't officially announced this on the podcast yet, but <laughs> I uh, recently left my job here in New York City and... I'd been there for four years, and coming at the end of four years, I started thinking, oh gosh, if I don't get out of here soon, it's gonna be not, it's going to be detrimental to my career to be at one company for longer than four years. So I think that that's really interesting. And then we have a mutual friend that we volunteered with um, who, she's younger than me and has had, and is doing very well in her career, but I think has had a different job every year and has just job hopped from, so Kate Zanzana yeah. has probably had six, 27, 28 has had six or seven jobs um, and has still managed to move up in each company. So I think that that's such a different um, oh, absolutely. way to look at absolutely. a career. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we used to look at people that move jobs every three or four years as, as problems. If you had that on your resume 20 years ago, people thought you were, you know, what's wrong with this person? Why can't they stay at a, you know, keep a, male a job? content. Right. Uh, now you look at, and I see resumes all the time, just like you said, uh, you know, three, four-year experiences, you know, a bunch of them, you know, just the way it is. Different, different model. I know we've talked a little bit about this, but do you see a difference in the work ethic of millennials versus your generation? The work I ethic? I, I don't I, know. I think I work ethic, see yeah, work ethic is work sort ethic. of individual. Um, you know, it as I always said, there's only so many kinds of people in the world and they have different motivation levels. And part of, part of, you know, a good leadership is to get the best out of each person. So figure out what, what makes the, the person tick, uh, and, and, and motivate them. Um, and if you have a measurable output, it's a lot easier, at least in my world, we have to do, we have to make axles. And if we don't make axles, it's pretty noticeable. 
and everybody gets on board pretty quickly, or they, or they go somewhere else. No, I. Oh, I was just going to say on the work ethic thing. I mean, I have my kids and their friends as my experience, and like younger lawyers in my office, I don't see any difference at all in the work ethic, really. Do you guys see a difference in work etiquette? Because this is something that I see a lot, kind of just getting into managing people, and um, where the kids will come and they'll work really hard, but they have no concept of how to ask for a day off, or how to respond to an email, or how to ask me a tough question, or even how to ask me a normal question, like where's the post office I have to, you know, um, and then they end up wasting a lot of time, you know, trying to figure it out, and then or are flaky, you know, just stuff like that, that they are, they're, they're working hard, they're smart, they're great kids, but there's these etiquette kind of disconnects. Etiquette, um, I think with the advent of smartphones and some of the, I'll call them distractions, uh, you know, when I started, we had a, a CEO who was, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't bring a computer to a meeting, you had to sit there and listen to what he had to say because he felt he was the most important thing in the room, right? And what his message was. Uh, now you go to meetings and people have computers, they have phones, they have all kinds of other things that they're doing and I would say productively because half the time in the meeting it's you know the meeting sort of moves around the group and when it's your time to be involved that's great but when you're not you can be answering emails so I think they bring a, a different level of of sort of um, skill and, and maybe uh, alternative ways to use time um, they all think they can work from home too that's the other I know how right. your company specifically feels about work from home that's a no, no. Topic for another time. Right. <laughs> it's you, been a long uh, time coming. Like my my company, I think it is a technology thing. It also depends on the job. We've talked about that too, if you're in a more production specific environment. But like my job at a bank, like we're just pushing numbers around. You can do that from your couch with a computer just as easily as I can do it from an office if I don't have like a specific meeting or something. You know, and the technology is there that I can get my full, you know, work computer on my laptop. Yeah, we uh, when when we're out of the office, traditionally you would, you know, years ago you would sign a, a letter that says I'll be out of the office. So and so has full authority to sign for me and and answer for me. And you were out of pocket. There was no real possibility other than a, a regular old-fashioned telephone, you know, to get reconnected with your work. Um, you know, nowadays you can, you know, when I leave when I leave the office and go to another American Axle plant in let's say Mexico, I don't even put an out of office letter out because I'm really still within the company and I have full access and full capability uh, being on, at one of our sites. So, um, you know, working from home is becoming even more of a reality for a guy in my position who is tied to the operation. And I just find it fascinating the, the, the new things I learn, you know, each, each week about communication. And you do work on vacation, too, for the same reasons. <laughs> right, and, and I end up using my vacation more judiciously because I can say I only did a half a day vacation because I worked the other half, as opposed to taking a whole day off and working half. So I think it's interesting that you, you called the technology a distraction because you brought this up in a previous episode that it's mostly for, like, Gen Z, which is all the kids born after 2000 who are now in high school and going to college, yeah. some of them, which is interesting to think about, but they, um, 
they're the first generation they've done studies they can read just as easily on a computer screen as they can on paper whereas even us like yeah, we can't you know people get hard. headaches yeah. on, if they're reading on a computer on a kindle or whatever and it's harder to consume the information but for the younger kids reading on a computer is not a distraction it's the same in their brain as reading on a piece of paper well, I think just to circle back to kind of the electronics in the workplace, I want to tell a story from that my dad told me about. So my dad is a physician, and he was an academic physician for a long time and taught at a medical school. And so, you know, he he kind of came home from work one day and was just having a fit. I was like, what is wrong? He's like, I was doing rounds this morning. We're in a patient's room, and a kid pulled out a cell phone and was, like, responding to a text message. And he, of course, had to say something to her and my dad is very like jovial guy really loves his students like didn't want to have to be harsh with her but this girl just didn't have any concept that that was unacceptable to like respond to a text message in the middle of rounds with your professor there and a sick and dying patient laying on the you know bed so I mean I think that's really interesting is there's kind of places where the technology is more useful and like can be used and allowed to be more productive um, but there seems to be this issue where some young people can't differentiate like where it's appropriate and where it can help them be more productive and where it just don't even bring it out. So I think that's well, those lines are being yeah. sort of defined throughout society, right? On airplanes, you go into an airplane yeah. now and many people are doing business calls right next to you. Um, that's why they sell a lot of those expensive headsets you know people tune out you have to create your own environment now because the environment that you thought was sort of common and maybe quiet and calm isn't there anymore right so it's really everything's changing you have no questions wow i know usually we're usually not at a loss for words (laughs) well i'm just um you know What about a question if we have a question? Yes. What do you guys, um, what is your impression of the boomer generation? You guys are sucking all the Medicare and Social Security down the tubes is how I feel. Wow, you want to think about that for a minute or? (laughs) No. Before you come to to that (laughs) conclusion? No, I'm very curious because, you know, we are, uh, um, you know, a lot of what's good and a lot of what's bad in the world, so. Just curious what the younger generation thinks of us. No, I think in terms of, like, person to person. I mean, I don't, like, you guys interact with a lot of millennials in the workplace. I don't interact with a lot of boomers because my oldest boss is Gen X. Like, my direct line of people. Like, my, I guess, like, the most senior person I interact with on a daily basis at work is, like, 41. So that's like firmly in the gen x category so i outside of like family in the workplace i mean there are a lot of boomers at the place that i work but it's not in my day-to-day and even like the the people who i know who are at the more executive levels at your company and in your workplace as well are firmly in the boomer category and that's just not the way it is in my industry and specifically in the place that i work um I think structurally, I think there's a lot of boomers who do believe that millennials are lazy and entitled. That's a word that gets thrown around. And I push it back because I'm like, A, who raised us? I think there's not a lot of self-reflection 
So it's like we didn't just pop out being like, I deserve the world, right? Like someone told you that for many years before you believe it. And I think, I do think that I'm never going to see a dime of the social security that I pay every paycheck because there's too many boomers and not enough money to go around. Hmm. Do you guys think that's a fair assessment? Well, I think your assessment that uh, your parents are who created you, I think that's exactly (laughs) spot on. Um, I think, uh, you know, we have some responsibility for why millennials are maybe perceived the way they are, maybe uh, who they are. Present company excluded. Um, No, no, I'm I'm just in general. Um, But, you know, they're they're the products of of the society we've become, right? Um, and every every generation the world. Um, I said we are the future. We are the world. <laughs> we are the future. Um, I I don't know. I feel like I've always had really good experiences with boomers. Um, probably better than I've had with Gen X. You're pretty anti Gen X. I'm not anti Gen X, and I've I've had some really wonderful experiences as well. But I think sometimes, especially. Not in my most recent work, but I've seen issues with Gen X women being kind of nasty towards millennial women, um, and and I don't, and I never really knew how to process that because that's just my, as a person, I'm like I love everybody, and why doesn't everyone love me? So, um, but I think what's interesting about the Boomer generation. So my parents are both Boomers, a little bit older than you, and as I see my parents aging and some of my friends' parents aging who are maybe even a little bit older than my uh, my parents. And my dad's going to be 70 next week, so it's super exciting. I was born in 1947. Um, but I, what I'm really struggling with is I feel like, and I see my friends struggling with this, is so many boomers are not preparing for their, let's say, golden years. Um, and The greatest generation didn't prepare a no. lot either. But, you know, I asked my parents well, what's your plan if you have, like, a stroke or something? Because who's taking care of that? That's me. They're like, oh, it's fine. There's a will. And I'm like, that's not enough. Like, what's your advanced directive? What's And they don't want to talk about it or acknowledge it. And I think that that's something. And I had, luckily, I haven't had to do this, but friends who've had to take care of parents who are sick um, and who just weren't, weren't, you know, haven't been prepared for that. So I think there's this really interesting, like, they're throwing up these blocks about they not wanting to admit that they're getting older and that's not really good for us and for us all to come in and deal with that. I don't know if that's a boomer necessarily issue or it's just human nature. nature. Yeah, I don't... uh, In the face of your own mortality. Yeah, I think there's other things to think about. That's always getting pushed down the list, you know. Yeah. I mean, when the end comes, will I be ready? I I don't know. I feel like you have a plan. I do. But I'm a lawyer, and I had to take care of my aging mother, who yeah. had a chronic illness, and yeah. it's true. All right, shall we do some topic cards? Yeah. I don't know what's on these topic cards. Or wait, cards. should we do our rapid fire? Oh questions? yeah, you. I love you like the rapid fire, fire questions. questions. Okay, so we do. Well, that's my favorite part. A bit to kind of establish where you are in your generational. What would I call that? So I'm doing this very, I'm very bad on the microphone. I get in a lot of trouble. Um, where you fall within your generation. So we'll do Marianne first. I'll just ask you a series of questions. Answer them off the top of your head. Um, okay. Favorite book? Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> favorite movie? The Way We Were. Oh, good one. 
um, favorite childhood candy? Uh, we'll Summer. take uh, <laughs> that's a stump. That's we'll take work. cake for two hundred. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, favorite childhood TV show? It's a cross. I did a lot of babysitting. Oh, okay. so Love Boat and the Brady Bunch. Love it. Um, favorite college experience? Tell us a quick story. Um, going to Florida with my friends Rhonda and Tracy, and. Uh, heading down there and with like 50 bucks in our pockets and trying to figure it out, you know, before credit cards. Um, and biggest difference you saw between yourself and your parents? Um, well, as a couple, we're a lot more stable than my parents were. Um, my parents did not save money. They didn't really value that. I'm not sure. I think they were good about not going into a lot of debt, but they didn't plan financially for the future. So they were dependent on their children, mostly, over the years. Um, so that's really different. And also, we talk about that, and we had talked about that when we were dating, like, a, you know, we want to make sure our kids aren't saddled with a lot of debt, because debt is not good. It's not good for your mental health because you worry about Dead it. Debt is worse than cholesterol. Right. Yes. Stress. <laughs> yeah, stress and, it causes and the other stress. things that uh, changes your life. Yeah. All right, John, move on to you. Favorite book? Oh, gosh. We have time to think about these yeah. questions. Um, uh, who do I like? I, I like the, the lawyer who writes books. Grisham. Grisham. I like the Grisham, yeah. Excellent. Uh, favorite movie? Uh, Animal House. Oh, favorite childhood TV show? Oh, gosh. Flintstones, Gilligan's Island, uh, all the... Um, okay, favorite college experience? Uh, football Saturday at Michigan. Yes. Can't Has that it. changed a lot? Since. Hasn't changed for me and since I got out of college. Awesome. And biggest difference between your, you see between your generation and your parents' generation? Um... Well, I can reset the time on the VCR when it's blinking, so that's Excellent. one That's Excellent. one big difference. Um, What's a VCR? <laughs> no, when it's blinking, what does that even mean? Well, it, it, it's, it goes back to, you know, VCRs were a huge technology improvement in our day, and uh, my dad, they, they all came with clocks because you could set, you know, manually set when you wanted to record something. But it was tied to the power grid, so every time there was a power outage, it would oh, yeah. kick out and you'd have to reset it. And, yeah, and so it, it was a standing joke that the like your parents couldn't reset the clock on the VCR. Now okay. there's clocks on everything, you know, microwaves mm -hmm. and ranges and everything else. So um, that's sort of a, you know, between I would say, are they the greatest generation? Our parents probably. Yeah, yeah, they were born right. in the. We 30s. should rename yeah. the boomers that so our kids call us the greatest generation. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that was that's probably one of the biggest differences. Um, and I think just the, you know, computers were brand new in our generation when I was growing up. Um, didn't really have my first computer till I was in, in college. Um, so I think, you know, I would say the advent of the computer age uh, was totally different than our parents. Yeah. Well, I picked out two cards. So we, we had a party and we asked people to submit topics or little things to talk about. So I found two that pertain to 
uh, boomers versus millennials. Love so it. I thought I'll, I'll read them. 1970, pay for college with a summer minimum wage job. 2015, pay student loans for 20 years for four years of college. Well, what do we think is the validity of that statement? We're currently reviewing the card. Um, I'll say this. Um, when I started at Michigan in the fall of 1979, tuition was, um, gosh, it was like $2,500 a term. And it doubled in four years. Wow. So, mind you, a summer job back in 1970 probably only paid about two and a half dollars an hour, maybe less. Yeah, but I guess that um, person was saying maybe a lot changed between 1970 and the early yeah, 80s right, as but, well. Yeah, right, but I think you could pay for college easier back in the 70s than you could today. That's just, I'll say that generally. Well, college, um, in-state college tuition has just exploded. It's not the same kind of, it's not easy to it's pay for Yeah, I mean, I mean college, college is like skiing, right? There's really, they haven't figured out what the, the upper limit is on cost. Right, every year you go out west skiing, it's another ten, fifteen dollars at Vail. I think this year was one hundred seventy-five dollars to ski for a day, oh, wow. and the place is packed. So I think college is the same way. It's it's been sold as the, you know, people continue to pay. They'll just keep. Yeah, they'll just keep paying, and they'll keep going to debt and hoping that the outcome will better their life. Um, I think there's a trade-off at some point. You got to look at it as a, as a business investment. Are you going to get the return for the cost you're putting in? Is an accounting degree at NYU better than an accounting degree at, I don't know, CCNY, right? City College of New York, right? I mean... We'll see how right. his finance degree does. <laughs> no, I agree. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, so the next card was submitted by a listener. It says, I work in an office with four 60-year-olds and one 40-year-old. I am the only one who can copy-paste. That's ridiculous. Well, I think I'll be pleased, too. I feel... Well, I have to tell you, I was off work for a while. <laughs> well, that's what someone um, said. I know. I feel like I can do it. I'm almost 60. Well, you were saying... I know. We I'm just addressing this... Uh, huh. Okay. We wanted to ask Shay on the mic, since you're a writer, is it proper to put two spaces after the period when you're typing? It is not any longer. We no longer Controversy. Yeah. Shots fired. It is actually um, quite the faux pas to do two spaces. And, and quite what, the faux why pas. Why is that? Is it um, something to do with global warming? Had or? To do with, yes, it's all about it. That, <laughs> the double spaces you are really, causing... If you want to talk about global warming, warming you could, that can be your hot topic. No, but the, uh, the double space had to do with typewriters, um, and you had to do that to just for ease of reading. I'm not an expert in it, but that's No, I, mean, I love I the know. history. I do um, love this. And then once we switched to a word processor, you really only need one space, and you can still easy to read and you don't need those so every millennial that sends me a memo that has one space after a period i should think twice about i would they are doing putting them in a box yes don't judge call yeah don't judge them don't judge them yes did you also think that you were supposed to put two spaces no i knew because i we have word counts (laughs) when you're submitting Uh, a brief to like the court of appeals there's a 25 page limit and a certain word count limit so if you I mean, if you start adding extra spaces, you're... But that change in the style manuals only happened in the past few years, officially, because even when I was in college and grad school, you were still doing the double space. And then I think, right, by the time we did my second master's at NYU, it was one space only. And I would have professors call me out if... So where I think I'm, like, teaching the new generation, they're really laughing at me. Okay, I get it. 
I don't think anyone's laughing at you. I, d- I had not even heard. It's not even that I had an opinion on it. I didn't even know it was a thing until this morning. Yes, it is a big thing. I just know. corrected uh, my son's Jackson. paper that he yes. sent me to look uh, at, and I kept putting spaces. Did you go spaces. through and you put spaces like, in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 150 sentences I had to do. I hope time. he doesn't get in trouble. Did you take him out? No, of course I don't not. think he's going to get in trouble. I don't think you can really... Well, can I can't eyeball it and tell. You can eyeball yeah. it and tell that there's only one space. I, I don't think I can. Yeah, you probably now could. that I know, like I think the double space looks so bad. Like it, but I just I think it looks. Okay, let's not get up on the old guy. Right? <laughs> it looks a little. I don't know. It's just not what you're it's used not to what looking I'm used to anymore. Yeah. So. Interesting. Well, we all learned something new. I was going to say when I went back to work, um, I had no idea because I was off for a period of time how to use Outlook. I hate it. Yeah. So, and Outlook is a huge thing when you're, I was, I went back to work as a prosecutor. I don't do that anymore. I work in an office for a county government in Michigan, but your whole entire court docket is tied to your Outlook. So all the cases you have to appear on and everything and moving stuff around and, you know, so I literally asked my office manager to get me into a class so I could get up to speed because... I realized I can't just keep going to a coworker like, hey, do you know how to do this? You know, and all of that. So anyway, you do have to learn. Yeah, you shouldn't feel bad about that because my intern asks me how to use Outlook. I hate, really? I refuse to use it actually. I, when I was doing all the CAPA volunteering at the national level, we had to use Outlook and it like was part of the reason I ended up stop, stopping that position because I could not, it was so unuser friendly and I just couldn't figure it out. And I would be like- You were also using like the online like, if you have Outlook oh, on your desktop, true. it's much better. Like, I if you have the actual, that, if you're using, like, the online Outlook, yeah. it's a lot crappier. Oh, the worst. The worst. Oh. Cripes. Any last Save Browns alibis before we end? Any last what? Any last thoughts, comments? We're going to plug all of our social, social media, media here in a second if yeah. we're done. All right. Starting the plug. Go to campadulthood.com. Email us at hello at Camp Adulthood. Listen on iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. We got a new rating this morning from my mother. Yay. John does not subscribe yet. Yeah. We're going to publicly shame you until you do. Uh, I'll, I'll look into it. Okay. Put it through the... You don't even have to listen. Just subscribe. Yes. And leave ratings. Um, and you can follow us at Camp underscore Adulthood. On Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Such a delight. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, well, thank you oh, for, having for having us. Having us. Yeah.